electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. Jim and David have the morning off. Stocks do look for a fifth day lower, although we've already had a wild ride on cable today. Approached a dollar three, and this unrelenting sell-off in global bonds. The two-year hits uh, four three five earlier on. Oil got close to seventy-seven. Our roadmap begins uh, with macro headwinds weighing on stocks. Futures do point to a fifth day of losses as yields rise, and that pound hits that record low. Plus, searching for tea leaves from the Fed. Investors closely watching central banker comments today. And by the way, the rest of the week, with Bostic yesterday, we're predicting that the economy can avoid, quote, deep pain. And Apple's manufacturing shift announcing that it's begun producing its new iPhone 14 in India instead of China. Again, with the markets after last week's uh, losses, S&P was down about four and a half percent, four straight days down. Uh, Mike, we've been watching, as you said on Squawk earlier today, sort of on alert to see which things crack and currencies is an easy target today. Without a doubt. So the big kind of macro forces that have been uh, pressuring stocks remain in place. And if anything, over the weekend, they've incrementally gotten more extreme. So it is the the strength of the dollar kind of rampaging higher Uh, yields still moving in an unfriendly direction. What it's colliding with is an equity market that, at least in a very short-term tactical basis, has started to look a little bit more oversold and washed out. And people, of course, trying to pluck out whether that's enough to, to, to provide for a bounce or more than a bounce. Uh, I look back to the June 16th lows. We're just above those. What's done better? What's done worse? Uh, you know, software is lower than it was. Transport's lower than they were. Uh, consumer and housing oddly higher than they were uh, back then. But it's, it's all nip and tuck. It's not as if there's a real strong story. Usually when you get a retest attempt, uh, you're looking to see fewer stocks make new 52-week lows on the, at the same index level. And, and this this idea that downside momentum is not as strong. The urgency to sell is not quite as, uh, as, as intense. It, it remains to be seen. Let's put it that way. It seems kind of coin flippy. You're probably going to get a bounce attempt soon. Uh, whether it's more than that, it's going to be the question. Yeah, the S&P and the Nasdaq 100 flirting with a retest of those lows, certainly closing higher uh, and not testing where the S&P is concerned that intraday yeah. June low. But the Dow closing lower than its previous June low, making a new low for 2022. Um, and to your point, Dow Transports as well, which you definitely want to get to a little bit more first. But I mean, inflation, earnings, valuations, you've got China, Taiwan, you've got rates in the Fed and other central banks. Now you've got nuclear threats coming out of Russia in the past week. You've got their unrest in Iran and now the possibility of a currency crisis. Am I leaving anything off the table in terms of the macro picture right now? Uh, plenty to watch. And that's what a lot of the strategists at least are trying to process over the weekend. Goldman's uh, David Costin, of course, saying, look, our year end targets 3,600. But if the market prices in a severe recession, 3,150 yeah. would be their their bottom level. And then Mike Wilson, another Monday morning uh, victory lap, yeah. uh, literally mm-hmm. writes, can you hear me now? It appears investors have finally gotten the message with the pivot undeniably off the table, still looking for a range of 3K to 3,400. Pivot undeniably off the table right now. And it's all contingent on the next series of inflation numbers. We're getting one on Friday, the PCE inflation number. Mm-hmm. The market, I, I, whether it's been told and believes it or not, if you start to see 
downward trajectory in the inflation data itself, the market's going to try to attempt to say we can see the end of where the Fed's going. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be right, but I think it's going to attempt that trade again. It's interesting because we've been having that conversation, certainly, right, in this idea that inflation data is a lagging indicator. Interesting note of SGH macro advisors last night, specifically Tim Dewey, who is, you know, a close watcher and whisperer where the Fed is concerned. He noted that Fed leadership is going to be focused solely on price stability right now and the data now is likely to reinforce that focus. And he actually stripped out with the CPI, he stripped out food, energy, shelter, and used cars and trucks. And if you still look at that chart, it's still pretty parabolic right now. It doesn't, it doesn't look friendly. No, it doesn't. Uh, on the, you know, the other piece of it is the Fed was targeting gasoline de facto a few months ago. Gasoline's crashed. Now they have this employment Forecast. They said they have to soften up the labor market, let unemployment go higher. Well, em- unemployment itself is a lagging indicator, right? You're kind of targeting the thing that moves last in order <laughs> to achieve the job of, of inflation uh, getting back in your target zone. So it's, it's a tough mix. And I think they just have to, you know, talk as hawkishly as possible and persuade the markets that the market should not get comfortable. And so far that's working. And, uh, and you know, we'll see if their data give us any reason for that to tilt. That's in, yeah, it's exactly what City says this morning as well. Uh, Scott Croner, who we talk to from time to time, uh, the Fed is increasingly using its voice as a policy tool. Uh, we need to acknowledge the impact that may have on behavior. It does cause us to rethink our view toward a severe recession. Uh, we've previously given it about a 5% prob- probability as opposed to a base case mild recession in the first half of next year. But that's the, the way the tone that's coming from the Fed is causing some desks to think maybe we need to revisit our model. Right. And, and which also, Morgan, to your point, is, is the idea of if that's going to be the, the presumed path and that's going to be the Fed's stance, where's the dollar going? I mean, is, is the dollar going to take a break, even though it looks like it's, right. it's completely gotten stretched? And so what market-wise happens to disturb this idea that the Fed can just continue in lockstep to, to raise rates? And so I, I think that's the other thing that makes people a little bit uneasy is that the velocity and the magnitude of these moves of yields and currencies moving beyond multi-decade bands mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. So far, I don't think you could say anything's broken, you know, like Citrix having to take a little bit of a hit and the banks having to take a little bit of a hit on that LBO debt. That's nothing. I mean, if you know, if that's the kind of thing you see, it's, it's digestible. Yeah. And I've seen a few notes, actually, in the last 12 to 24 hours, suggesting that when you start to see these wild, volatile moves in currencies, for example, that can sometimes indicate the second leg of a bear market, which, of course, goes back to the debate at least where equities are concerned about, as we're retesting June lows, whether this is a double bottom or whether we're potentially going to see a a bounce because equities are oversold, arguably, right now from a technical standpoint as well, uh, and then maybe move even lower. Dow transports, we touched on it briefly before, a fresh 2022 low. You can argue that the transports right now, and FedEx was certainly the canary in the coal mine, but there are other names that are down double digits. It's the it's doubled the losses just this month of the Dow and the S&P, uh, that this is really flashing warning signs where the economy is concerned, where the possibility of a bigger recession is concerned. Uh, and you do have some of those wonks that bother, follow Dow theory very closely, pointing to the Dow, yeah. testing, you know, reaching a new low as uh, a very negative sign moving forward. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's freight rates are crashing. You know, all the things you were concerned about, you thought that that was the problem a few months ago, which was these tightness in the logistics markets causing uh, friction and, and inflation. It's now the other thing we're worried about. Things like UPS have kind of followed FedEx to a degree in the stock breaking down a bit. 
Okay, well, we're gonna stick with the markets here with all the major averages poised to open lower this Monday morning. Let's bring in FTSE founder and Wilshire CEO, Mark Makepeace, who manages $84 billion in assets and joins us here at Post 9. Mark, it's it's good to have you on a day like today. It's a, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Um, I do want to start uh, with more of a global lens and specifically mm-hmm. looking at the UK, which you have some deep experience mm-hmm. with, uh, and also Europe, and sort of get your sense on the fiscal stimulus package we're seeing coming out of the UK that really sent gyrations yeah. through the global markets, uh, the moves we're seeing there, and the possibility that we're already in recession when we do look to that continent. Yeah, I, I think you've got to remember, you've got a, a new prime minister, a new chancellor, and this this is you know weeks after they come into power that they then go beyond what was expected of them. And that's, that's caused the shock in the market. That's surprised the market, and you've had that reaction. Um, but you're clear here, you, you've talked about some of the issues. You know, are we heading for a recession? Should governments be pushing for growth more? Um, or should they be focused on <coughs> inflation? Uh, and here, I think we're going to see you know, the government clearly trying to promote growth and now we're looking at the Bank of England to say, are you serious about inflation? You know, uh, because so far the bank has been, um, I think Tim is the wrong word, that's too strong a word, but the, the bank hasn't um, been as strong as the Fed. Uh, and I think the market is now looking for the Bank of England to step up uh, and have you know, a much stronger uh, approach to uh, increases in rates and a much stronger uh, approach to try to tackle inflation. And of course, just this morning, we're hearing about calls from some po- politicians in the UK to step in where currency moves are concerned uh, as well, or to step in where this entire conversation is concerned as well. Um, it's pretty incredible because here in the US, the narrative has been that the Fed has been behind the ball. Now the Fed's tightening aggressively. Yeah, yeah. And we have other central banks tightening behind the Fed and catching up aggressively as well. And you talked, I mean, the strengthening of the dollar, and that's continuing. And whilst the Fed remains ahead of the rest of the world, you know, that will continue. Uh, And the pound, yes, it's fallen with this decision, but it was falling before. I mean, we've got to remember, it was only a couple of months ago that the pound was at 130, and before that, 140 to the dollar. And now... Now we're seeing it down to in the Asian markets under 104 uh, and really only coming back a little bit because the market is expecting the Bank of England to do something. And if the bank doesn't step in, I think we will see parity to the dollar. Yeah, that was the, uh, I mean, that's partly why I guess it, it arguably bottomed this morning was right. these reports that they would at least get a statement today yes. and, they, and it didn't sound like the bank denied that that might be coming today. That's right. What do you think they would say? I think they'll try and talk the market up a little bit to start with, but I think their next um, uh, committee uh, is in November. They can't wait until November to take action. So I, I think the market is looking for strong words and going beyond that to see them start to take action before that November meeting. We've That's had this. We've had this world where I mean, you, you've had these eruptions in individual mm. areas, but it's really a similar story almost everywhere. Almost. And you have global correlation is very high among equity markets, among bond markets. I mean, mm. one of the reasons, arguably, U.S. yields are as high as there is what's happened to euro yields and, and everything else. Um, what's the the asset allocation? message from that because you've lost in stocks you've lost in bonds a lot of the former models are being challenged right now they are they are and, and look, if you look at the old 60 40 approach uh, I, I mean 
you know, I, I think you've underperformed by, or, you know, apart from the 2008 financial crisis, if you look at the last 25 years, that's what you're comparing yourself to. We're close to that sort of range. Um, now, remaining diversified, but thinking about some of the defensive areas, I think is important, but also taking account of the strength of the dollar. You know, whilst the dollar is strong, the US remains, you know, uh, a safe venue. Uh, and I think uh, many people around the world will be looking to that. Um, while there is such volatility in the world, and it's not coming from just one issue, mm -hmm. we've just got so many issues. Um, but I think thinking through these issues, I mean, I mean, China, it's will China actually open up? Or will it keep going back to these lockdowns? Um, and that affects demand, not just in China, but around the world. Um, and we're also seeing disruption in, in Europe itself. I mean, Italy. the recent Italy elections. Uh, I mean, so everyone at the moment is watching all these changes and trying to work out, I want to stay diversified. You know, I want to be defensive. Um, but also to your point earlier, it's, um, yeah, we can't see the Fed keep raising rates. There comes a point when, you know, they've either tackled inflation uh, and we'll start to see the end of it. And the market will then respond once it can see the end of the tunnel. Yeah, of course, Italy is one to watch, not only because of the snap election and, and the perceived outcome there, but also a mountain of debt as you have interest rates rising. As, as we have this conversation, what does it mean for indexes, stock indexes, mm. that investors have just piled into in recent years and whether the composition needs to be rethought? Yeah, but if you think about, look, these markets have changed so much, and yet most of the indices we use today were designed 30, 40 years ago. You know, I always give the example, we think a small cap in the US, which has been underperforming, but must come back at some stage. Uh, and our measure for that is the Russell 2000. And yet the Russell 2000 only captures the very bottom 5%. It tells you more about micro cap than it does small cap. So, I mean, at Wilshire, what we're trying to do is trying to bring in new measures because technology has completely changed the industry. Climate change is having its impact, if you think about electric cars and the automobile industry. So that lots of these factors over the last five, ten years really aren't captured properly um, in the indices that exist today. Uh, and I think if you're going to analyse markets properly, you need better tools. What a time to be having this conversation. Mark McPeace, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. A lot going on this morning. When we come back, we'll talk about a setback for China. Apple announcing it has begun manufacturing the new iPhone 14 in India as it begins to diversify its manufacturing base. Got some calls today on Lyft, uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, some good news in casinos, and FedSpeak returns today with Bostic and Mester. More Squawk on the Street in a moment. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Big shift for Apple today. The company announcing it has begun manufacturing its iPhone 14 in India, moving some production away from China. Apple issued a statement saying, quote, the new iPhone 14 lineup introduces groundbreaking new technologies and important safety capabilities. We're excited to be manufacturing iPhone 14 in India. Meantime, JP Morgan today, guys, says uh, demand for the phone quite elevated for the pro models, weaker for the base models. Um, with, uh, iPhone, uh, with the Pro and Pro Max lead times pretty much in line, robust demand for the Watch Ultra as we keep a very close eye on this new product cycle. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was just going to say it, 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 it continues to push back against the, you know, they're pricing people out. There's not really a need for a refresh uh, or upgrade cycle. Yeah, I do think that the way the stock has acted, it's almost acted as its own defensive asset class relative to anything you could say is like it. Mm. Um, it's actually expanded its its valuation since the June low. Uh, it's a 23 times earnings. So it's just this general sense out there that Apple's going to figure it out when it comes to not just the product cycles, but financially. Uh, it's very much in the in the stock. And I, I do think it's very conspicuous that it's it's not back down to the degree that almost everything else has, you know, alongside it in the indexes. So you could take that as, hey, you always want to buy relative strength. But I, I, I said the other day, like, what would keep Apple from trading at 19 times earnings instead of 23, right? I mean, that would still be a generous valuation, and yet it would, it would kind of hurt the indexes. And we'll see if it, it happens. doesn't mean it has to, but at 7% of the S&P plus, uh, it, it's just this very interesting outlier uh, at this point. Exactly. You see, you see a bigger downdraft in Apple. You see a bigger downdraft in the broader market. Yeah. We've talked about so much. Well, it's what you see a broader downdraft in the index, right? In so, the the, index. so the, the rest of the market has almost taken a lot more valuation pain already. Yeah. That's where the earnings risk is. The valuation risk, if you ask me, is still in the Apples. Of course, Amazon, Tesla can trade wherever they want relative to earnings. It doesn't really you link up very closely to what they're going to report next year. Um, but that's the interesting piece of it. You take out the top five of the S&P and you're two multiple points below where the overall index is because that's how uh, relatively expensive the handful at the top are. Uh, meantime, we talked on Friday about them sponsoring the Super Bowl halftime, <laughs> taking it from Pepsi, and what that might, may or may not mean for their future involvement in Sunday ticket or football at large. And then, of course, over the weekend, Rihanna essentially confirming that she'll be the headline act as she tweeted to her 105 million Twitter followers. Uh, interesting. I mean, that's it's getting very, very interesting, their marketing shift. Uh, even on a day where Jerry Jones is in the house, yeah. we're going to talk to him later, <laughs> and they do away with the Pro Bowl. Right. A lot of good, a lot of interesting things. I mean, it's fascinating, though. It's, it's almost like if Apple does make a bigger play in the NFL along with Amazon, it, it sort of helps them, right? They're getting more entrenched in a certain area, but it really hurts the other folks who are losing lo that, that, that audience to, to whatever degree they are. Although I do find it funny that the excitement over Apple at the halftime show 
did we talk about what it meant for Pepsi all those years? You know, we buy we buy Pepsi stock because they do the Super Bowl every year. I don't know. But Pepsi doesn't have a streaming arm, right? Yeah, they aren't no trying other to connection. diversify yeah. into that into that business, right. um, which I think to your point is notable about Apple. You mentioned Amazon. I. I do also just want to flag the fact that Amazon basically said this weekend that they're going to roll out next month what is essentially a second Prime Day. Yeah. Couple days. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it speaks to this inventory glut potentially, right, that we've been hearing about from retailers and maybe also trying to get ahead of the holiday season. Got to wonder if that's another canary in the coal mine. Yeah. Uh, early access sale, I guess is what they're calling it, October 11 and 12. So we'll see how much that disrupts the holiday. Ahead of both Halloween yeah. and exactly Christmas, yeah. All right, well, we are on track now for a mixed open with the NASDAQ poised to actually open a bit higher right now. The Dow lower, the S&P lower. Keep in mind, the Dow closing on Friday uh, at a new 2022 low. We've got more Squawk in the Street when we return. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Opening bell just about uh, six minutes away. Coming up, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and the CEO of Comstock Resources will ring the bell. Uh, they'll join us at Post 9. We'll talk two of our favorite topics, oil and gas and football. Also get ready for CNBC's Delivering Alpha returns in person Wednesday of this week, featuring economic leaders, policymakers, and the world's top investors. You can register now at DeliveringAlpha.com as NASDAQ futures go green. We're going to do all that we can at the Federal Reserve uh, to avoid deep, deep pain. And, and I think there are some scenarios where that's likely to happen. This is something that uh, is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Uh, there will likely be some job losses. Uh, but I think if you look over the historical uh, history here and, and our economic experiences, uh, there's a really good chance that if we have job losses, it's going to be smaller than what we've seen in other situations. And uh, that's what I'm banking on. That was Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic on CBS's Face the Nation uh, over the weekend, um, sort of saying, look, uh, soft landing is not going to be easy. There's going to be some pain. Fortunately, we're going to get 20 more Fed speakers to see if they agree just this week. Uh, it's, it's incredible the amount of Fed speak that's uh, scheduled to happen this week. And I think there is this expectation that it is going to be uh, a very similar message to what we've heard several times over now from the Fed Chair Powell uh, about the fact that they're going to have to inflict pain up for debate how much pain, but pain uh, on this economy to bring the inflation numbers down. And we do know, even though it's not necessarily showing up in the macro data, that there are companies cutting jobs right now. For sure. And, and that's one of the other ways that this kind of chorus of Fed speak does operate, which is on the hiring, firing, investing intentions of CEOs. Uh, that's without a doubt. If you're looking at the Fed's collective economic forecast for you know, 2023, and you think that's what they're going to navigate toward, and that's what they think is going to happen if they get rates up to where they expect, then you're probably going to moderate your, your own views of, of top line. Um, do think, though, there's, if there's one slight benefit to having 20 Fed speakers in a week, it's that S&P's down 10% in two weeks, like 15% in five weeks. The two-year yield is up toward 4.3. In other words, markets kind of gotten the message here, so they probably don't feel quite as much 
as if they need to move investors off of an entrenched, uh, you know, errant position as they did a couple of weeks ago. Right. Also, it's interesting, you know, Bostic sort of hinting that it won't be as bad as the last crisis. Kind of what John Paulson told Bloomberg over the weekend, and that is that the banks are so heavily capitalized relative to the last crisis that even if housing falters, it may not lead to systemic risk. I think that's almost undeniable in terms of the condition of the banking system. What Bostic talking about in terms of employment, it's a tighter labor market, but does that mean the Fed has to go farther to get wages under control? So it's offset. There's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. As we said, energy company Comstock Resources celebrating its 25th listing anniversary. We're going to be joined by the CEO, Jay Allison, and majority stockholder, Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, in a little bit. At the NASDAQ, Omega Flex, maker of flexible metal hose products. Uh, breath not too hot at the open here. Again, uh, coming off of four straight losses in a tough week last week. One bright spot will be casinos. You yep. had uh, mm-hmm. Win and uh, Las Vegas Sands up 6% pre-market as Macau is now going to allow tour groups through for the first time in almost three years. Right? Yeah, it's it's certainly notable. And you can see right there, now that the we did get the opening bell, uh, we do have some pretty big jumps in those names, despite the fact that for the S&P, we're trading lower fractionally lower, down about a third of a percent right now, but every sector in the S&P is in the red, Mike. Yeah, and, you know, some of the um, sort of more beaten down and heavily shorted areas of the market do get a lift. If you got this kind of, you know, basically as many one-month highs on Friday's close in the S&P 500 across the market as you had any time in the last couple of years. So a lot of stuff was punished pretty hard. Uh, Clearly, the indexes themselves are still kind of uh, getting down near, not quite toward where we were on Friday's lows. Friday's lows, you're about 3650-ish in the S&P uh, 500. Real estate has been a real struggle. Real estate stocks, I noticed a lot. Some of them are also near the lows this morning. Just this idea that you know these are debt-financed assets, they're long-duration assets. Real yields are much higher, and for the, all the reasons that you kind of say that you know the Fed has to do this for the economy, real estate's in the sort of in the wrong place for some of that stuff. But the fact that real yields and inflation-adjusted yields are doing well is one of the bullish points people are making about bonds. The idea that you're getting paid in real terms to own bonds right now, uh, the you know the 10-year, three seven-ish or something like that, it actually tends to coincide with periods when the nominal yields start to peak out. That's the hope. That's the expectation eventually should take hold. Global yields not cooperating with that picture, though. Mm. I mean, and just to your point where real estate is concerned, which is the worst performer this morning so far in the S&P, you've got a 30-year fixed mortgage rate that has doubled, doubled in the past year. And I realize housing was hot, hot, hot. Just this morning, you had a stat this this morning uh, that rent prices are Decreasing. They got below 85 uh, for the first time since January. Of course, that reversed uh, this morning. But yeah, uh, global recession worries uh, definitely took its toll. I mean, Brent, or I'm sorry, WTI got near 77. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's even with the pressure that we may get from Hurricane Ian, uh, which is uh, going to be Cat 1, uh, going to be uh, in the Gulf of Mexico probably by Wednesday, and we'll see what impact it has on refining. We've already gotten some. You know, with the BP fire last right. week and mm-hmm. a couple upticks in gas prices in the Midwest as a result. Yeah, TI and Brent are actually slightly higher this morning, despite the fact that energy stocks do seem to be taking it on the chin again. I'm, it, names like Generac uh, was trading higher pre-market this morning, as you'd expect to see when you have a hurricane moving through, uh, second hurricane in a week. 
I should note. Uh, if this hurricane, Hurricane Ian, actually stays the course that's being modeled right now, poised for a potential direct hit based on some modelers' forecasts on Tampa, which would be the first time in many, many decades that we've seen that. You have some estimates out there as well where the insurers are concerned. You have some estimates out there that that could potentially lead to something like $30 billion in losses if you were to see significant flooding in that city. Uh, so insurers are something to watch too. The other one, guys, I would say is Boeing, which actually dropped 5% on Friday. It was a pretty dramatic move for that stock as well. Um, we don't talk about space and defense with Boeing as often because it is not typically the thing from an investor standpoint that moves this stock. It's usually the commercial business. But you have that giant mega NASA SLS rocket. It was supposed to launch tomorrow morning. Uh, now it's being rolled back. Another launch attempt. There's been a couple of them. Now it's being rolled back uh, in anticipation of this hurricane. So that launch date has pushed again. Depending on how that rocket launches and, and how successful that Artemis One mission is, that could potentially move Boeing stock here too. So, so it's going to be one to keep an eye on because Boeing is the prime contractor. Uh, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, one thing, Mike, from a market standpoint that got a lot of discussion over the weekend was the amount of put protection yeah. uh, on Friday. Uh, record volume going back to the beginning of data in the 90s. Uh, is that, I mean, do you take it as a bullish uh, indicator, yes. the, the ratio you, and everything all else? All else being equal, it's it's certainly bullish. If you look at the overall kind of how many, you know, puts are people buying relative to calls and how has that been over the last couple of weeks, it's at the upper end of the range. It's not necessarily the kind of thing where you see uh, it, it being this climactic, you know, rush for protection. Um, so I, I, I know people were trying to kind of caveat that, that data point a little bit in terms of where the put volume came from. And there's also a massive amount of put selling. I think the basic point is um, institutional investors have relatively low defensive equity positioning. Some of that is through hedging. A lot of it is just that they, they just took their exposures down. And that's maybe moderated some of the, the velocity of the downside that we've gotten and maybe depleted the demand for immediate uh, protection. But if you're putting all the signals together and say, does the market look like it's more fearful than greedy? Absolutely. I mean, you saw the, the retail investor survey last week. Some of the other stuff out there in terms of the extremes of, uh, of negative breath, you know, they're, they're clicking in that direction. Uh, I think the big argument is, what do you do with the bounce? Um, also, by the way, it, you have these downside targets like Mike Wilson in the low 3000s and other people, Dan Niles this morning on our air, uh, had something similar to say. And you can't obviously disprove that that's where we're headed. I mean, if you get a big valuation and earnings hit, you know, that's, that's where the math probably brings you. It is worth keeping in mind that whatever the ultimate low is in the index, typically the market doesn't spend a ton of time there, right? So it's sort of like, what are you playing for? Are you playing for make sure you, you, you catch the last move lower or, or the next move lower? Or are you saying on a three-year basis, if you buy the market down 20%, you're more open up than down. Uh, and you can get some yield up front on the bond side of things. And so I, I think there's a tactical uh, picture that's, that's very fast moving and there's a strategic one that allows you to, to kind of figure out how the risk reward has changed with what's happened in the markets this year. And of course, as you're speaking, the S&P is turning positive, albeit fractionally 36.95 is the level there right now. It does seem like the trajectory near term, to your point, uh, is a bounce in the S&P, given the fact that we are looking at these oversold levels. And also to your point, from where we go from there sort of delineates between the, bear, the bulls and the bears. Um, 
but I was going to say something, and I. <laughs> like, that, that is this true. is what happens when you're not sleeping because you have a four-month-old at home. Well, t in terms of levels, it's interesting because BTIG last night, uh, Jonathan Krinsky says the June low got a lot of attention, yeah. as you know, but he's more interested in the 200-week, yes. which oh, would take yes. you to 3585. Yeah. Or so. I know and, that. And, and by the way, if somebody told you today that the downside was the 200-meek moving average, uh, 112 S&P points down from here, which is like 3%, you'd say, give it to me every day, <laughs> right? And I think, so I think that's, that's where we are, where it's like the plausible, you know, next downside target seemed really scary a little while ago, and it, it doesn't right now. You do, obviously, in September and October, when the market's already been oversold, when you do have this dollar pressure, you do have the capacity for cascading type moves and oversold markets are the kinds that get out of hand to the downside sometimes but you can't ha it's very hard to handicap that kind of thing that's just a little bit of a uh, of an out of left field type of uh, dynamic yeah as morgan said uh, still circling here around 3700 let's get to bob Bassani this morning hey bob morning guys uh s p is positive and the dow is negative now the good news is tech's really helping so salesforce for example microsoft Apple, they're really helping the Dow out. What's really weighing the Dow is United Healthcare, which is down about $8. And that by itself is almost enough to put the, the Dow into negative territory. So that's why the Dow is not uh, in positive territory right now. So take a look at the sectors right now. Uh, ARC, uh, on days when the market tries to bounce, you usually see ARC, that's a very good indication. When ARC opens up 1%, 2%, now it's up 3%. Uh, that's a sign the market's trying to bounce right there. Uh, banks also a little bit stronger. As I mentioned, tech, where uh, Microsoft, Apple, uh, Salesforce helping the Dow. Energy down fractionally. And metals and mining, which has been a real sort of indicator of global growth issues, uh, more stable today. That has been a disaster, energy and metals, for the last couple of weeks. So where are we? We all know how dramatically oversold things are. But, I mean, they're really oversold. Every indicator over the weekend when people were evaluating was just... Uh, a mess. Momentum, uh, RSI, relative strength indicators, 52-week uh, lows. We had almost 1,000 on the NYSE. That's almost 40% of the NYSE on Friday. Breath oversaw, that's advanced decline line. Uh, stocks above their 200-day moving average and 50-day moving average. Uh, very few, <laughs> simply put. So really oversold. So what do we need for some kind of bottom? The three points I kept hearing over and over on the weekend was we need some kind of rate stabilization, obviously with a two-year over 4% is a problem. Inflation stabilizing. We'll get the PC on, on Friday, uh, the CPI October 13th. Uh, and Q3 earnings. So we, we can't have wholesale downward revisions. I'll tell you what the problem is. Let me show you the S&P 500 earnings. The forward earnings estimates are $232, and they've been relatively stable. They haven't fallen apart. They're lower than they were, but stable compared to a couple of months ago when there was massive concerns. The forward multiple is what's come down dramatically from about 17 to about 15, uh, just below 16. That's what's come down, what people are willing to pay for a future stream of earnings. The risk to the market is the downward earnings. That 232 goes down. A lot of people have been reducing that. Some have it as low as $200. You get to $200 times uh, 15, and you get 3,000. That's how the lower band, how a lot of people are getting to 3,000. They have 200 times 15. So, again, watch for those forward earnings estimates. We've got to see them to be stable, and earnings, of course, will start in the next few weeks. What's changed since June 16th? We touched the June 16th lows yesterday. Amazingly, uh, utilities, consumer discretionary is higher. Materials and energy 
uh, have been down. These are the cyclical sectors. Semiconductors also been down, again, cyclical. Uh, and transports, we know that. That's a new 2.7%. That was a new low on Friday. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. We'll see you in a bit, Bob Bassani. Still to come this morning, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and the CEO of Comstock Resources rang the opening bell here at the big board today. They're going to join us at post nine in a moment. As we go to break, uh, let's check bonds. Uh, Two-year did get to 435 this morning, settling back now to about 420 and change. Uh, the British two-year had a range this morning of 40, almost 40 basis points. Pretty incredible. Back in a minute. The most powerful investment event of the year is just two days away. CNBC's Delivering Alpha comes back in person on Wednesday, featuring economic leaders, policymakers, and the world's best investors talking about how to navigate this market. You can scan the QR code on your screen to register. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Oil prices have come down substantially since June, as you know. WTI now positive by only five percentage points on the year. Natgas, on the other hand, only hitting its lowest level since mid-July. Prices still up about 75% this year, and heating bills are expected to rise this winter. Companies like Comstock Resources have helped the U.S. reach record Natgas production this year. And for more on the markets, and of course, maybe some football, we're joined this morning by Dallas Cowboys owner and majority stakeholder in Comstock Resources, Jerry Jones as well as Comstock's chairman and CEO, Jay Allison, celebrating 25 years mm -hmm. listed. Congratulations, guys. Well, I told Jay earlier, it seems like I'm in the habit of writing these great traditions to a little bit of gain. Uh, the Cowboys, of course, uh, we've ridden that great tradition to uh, beyond anything we could have imagined. And uh, really here Comstock is, 25 years on the stock exchange, and we've ended up with more natural gas in the right spot than anybody in this country. And so uh, it's great to be riding tradition of 25 years in this case. Yeah, you know, 25 years and nine months ago, you'd have never thought we'd be here at the single largest, you know, financial institution in the world and having natural gas, which is, you know, it's, it's American gas. And uh, does, this, this, does this cycle, this energy cycle feel different than anything you guys have been through? No, I think we've focused on natural gas uh, since uh, 2008. We're one of the first three to, to, to drill the Haynesville Bossier. If you look at our footprint where we are to the Gulf Coast, which is where $20 billion worth of LNG facilities are being built, we've got the single biggest uh, acreage position with the most reserves, we think, to what? To provide the Gulf Coast LNG shippers with gas. So we've just become more of who we are, which is a dry natural gas company. It's pretty amazing that we're talking about record U.S. natural gas production. We're seeing the exports to places like Europe right now as well. And yet the price is so incredibly elevated, even against the strong dollar. And even as we've seen it come off a little bit, what's your outlook for that? Well, so, you know, before pre-COVID, we had about 120 rigs drilling for gas. Now we have about 160. So we're, we have more rigs drilling for natural gas. Uh, I think if you look at the demand, once Russia invaded Ukraine, then what happened is, it's like an epiphany, you realize that you need natural gas. Russia provided about 15 Bs a day of gas to the EU. 50% went to Germany, the rest went to EU. I think what's happened with the U.S., we have cheap gas, it's abundant, and now I think we can provide that to our allies across the shores, either to Europe or to Asia. 
So we're, we're set to do that, and, and prices will fluctuate. Well, you say you're set to do that. I mean, the infrastructure is there. Uh, you know, it seems like prices peaked right around the time where Germany said we basically ahead of schedule in terms of storage for this winter. But on a longer term basis, can we get it around the world to where it needs to go? Yeah, I think if you look at the gas price, even before the invasion of Russia uh, going into Ukraine, uh, the gas price uh, in Europe, uh, it was probably $80 per thousand cubic feet. And here it was maybe six or seven dollars. So they had a they had a they had a weather issue. It's always weather driven. So then it spiked up to about one hundred and sixty dollars and now it's about eighty dollars. I think what the recognition is, is that you either have to get this gas to the EU from gutter or guitar, however you want to say it, or you have to get it from the U.S. You probably won't get it from Australia. So you'll get it from us. That's why the single largest financial commitment and all the 22 in the whole wide world is a big LNG facility off the Gulf Coast. So that, that's, that's your answer. Now it'll take us three or four years to provide that gas to our allies, but as Jerry knows, I mean, he, he's a contrarian that came in in, in in 2018, made an investment and doubled down in 2019 so he could look around the corner. Yeah, and I do want to get your thoughts on that as the biggest investor in, in this company. Jerry, the fact that we're talking about natural gas, but it, it well, oil I, was up I, until a, long, a little while ago was sort of the big yeah, and, discussion. And I, and I don't know, uh, uh, but I think that uh, on an individual basis, I put more money uh, into natural gas than anybody living. Hmm. I've uh, spent over a billion dollars uh, since the last time I was sitting here uh, making an investment in Comstock. That allowed us to change at Comstock. We were able to go and acquire even more at the right price, natural gas uh, holdings, reserves, if you will. Uh, we have enough gas, Comstock does, to make a big dent into what Germany needs in this country. And so I'm real excited because of the, where the natural gas is. It sits right by the Gulf Coast. The amount of it and the cost that we have. We get it out of the ground and get it in that pipeline cheaper than anybody else there is. And so that's why we decided to make the commitment we've made. And consequently, these are great times right now to be doing what? To be getting ready to supply LNG and other places with natural gas. This really is freedom gas. Uh, you, you got this huge new marginal buyer, I guess, but do you worry about global recession? I mean, that's sort of what's weighed on energy prices, at least on oil, last few months. Well, I've uh, always thought that uh, uh, there's no way that I know what the world or even internationally the market is going to do. So that our company every day operates as though it's $2 gas. And so that if it goes to two, we'll produce the gas. We can make money. If it goes higher than that, then we can go there. Now is the time to take the dollars you're getting and reinvest that into more natural gas so that you've got it for the days when it is $3 and $4. I mean, I do want to get to NFL, but before we do that, just quickly, do you feel like the government's doing enough to support your efforts, especially when it comes to exports? Well, I think uh, we have great reserves in this country, uh, but the politics will keep us from having them available economically for the benefit of the country. Uh, if, if you would get your po political pot right, 
so that you could get more pipelines and so that you could get more of this gas to the market, then you'd have a, a, a better situation. Uh, uh, I think that I'm playing to that. Uh, the fact that there are restrictions, uh, that creates opportunity and uh, that's what we've taken care of uh, uh, with my uh, investment in Comstock. What I'm excited about is as we move forward of increasing our volumes, uh, I think that we can be double our volumes here within the next 24, 36, 48 months in Comstock. And I think we have the ability to do that. We definitely got the reserves and the gas to do it. Uh, the good thing is you can ring the bell here and then go to MetLife tonight, right? <laughs> well, uh, let me say this. The Giants have a lot to say about what's mm -hmm. happening tonight. Uh, I'd almost be rather solving this gas problem than I had solving that problem <laughs> over against the New York Giants tonight. But uh, we, we know what's at stake as a team. Uh, Cooper Rush is going to be starting for our mm -hmm. Dak Prescott. Uh, he did real well last week. Uh, the Giants will have a lot to say about this, but it's a big game for us. While Dak is away and mending his thumb, we need to have some wins, and we need to start right here. Can, how are you thinking about, I mean, the ratings alone, the ratings on Amazon, uh, the upsets, how that has uh, helped uh, parlay bets and things getting busted? I mean, it's it, one of the most exciting beginnings to a season I can remember. Uh, when I bought the Cowboys, I could have never ever seen what was going to be uh, the continued interest and visibility of the NFL. And as less people watch TV, a higher percentage of them watch sports and watch the NFL. That's what you're seeing with our Thursday night package with Amazon. And so what the NFL wants to do, what the Cowboys want to do, is we want to get as many people in front of that television set in the fall, Thanksgiving, Christmas, that's the time of the year the decision makers need to be there. And we want them there here in this country and uh, really internationally as well. Uh, we need to take advantage of the interest in this game to expand our influence in the NFL. It's going to be exciting tonight. Congratulations again, guys. Really good yes, to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's great having you, Jerry Jones. Thank you. Jay. Uh, take a break here. Take a look at the markets. Uh, some small chop at the S&P riding a three-point gain to start this busy week. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 